Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are swimming through Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kester Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are joined by Scott and Ricey Joe from the YouTube channel Scott and Ricey Joe. We are discussing Minute 18 today, which begins with Ariel singing What Would I Pay? And it ends with Ariel singing part of that Something. 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 <laughs> What's it going to be at the end? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Minute 18 of The Little Mermaid features Ariel continuing to sing about the human world and her desire to live among humans. And Sebastian getting rolled around the cavern in a stein. So is is this song actually called Part of Your World or Part of That World? Part of oh. Your World. Okay. I wonder if it was like its working title before it was like part of that world. And then they were like, no, let's make it your world. <laughs> I don't know. But I know, do songs know. Songs change I do, title a lot. Yeah. I do have some notes about part of your world, though. Okay. The, the recording of it and the actual song itself. Hit it. It was nicknamed Somewhere That's Dry because it had similarities to Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop of Horrors, which was <laughs> composed and and the lyrics and were the by? lyrics were by Howard Ashman yes. and Alan Menken. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was an 82. I like part of your world better. Yes. <laughs> it They actually have uh, like this the, the hook of both songs are like very similar. Hmm. I don't know Little Shop of Horrors, like, at all. I know there's, like, the plant. It's cause that's it, about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the hook of the song, I think it's, like, somewhere... Uh, it's almost, I think it's almost the same, and I can't even think of it, because it's, like, the same. It's, like, somewhere, or somewhere that's green, or something like that, which is, like, part of your world. Or that world, <laughs> so, I guess. Yeah. Uh. Um, part of your world is the I Want song, which is an iconic kind of feature that to to lots of musicals and then with part of your world it became the the goal for each musical version of disney uh like disney specifically features. made a goal to have an i want song in in the in their musical animated features with their protagonist singing about their dreams so is it it's specifically like protagonist because i've also heard a lot of times i want songs being described as like for women uh, protagonists um, but, so like but go specific- the distance would be for hercules his i want yes. song yes okay right, so it's, right. it's not female centric no okay but the the title the the name i want song it's been debated over who kind of started it a lot of people think that it was howard ashman that started it but it could have been lehman engel from uh, broadway musicals and stuff he okay. he did a lot like, of like like which ones uh, I think he did Showboat, I believe. Okay. Which is one of the older, older ones. Like, he's... he's. I'm trying to think about, like, older musicals, and, and I'm trying to see if anything comes to mind for... I That yeah. really is an I Want style song. Huh. And nothing in particular is... Like, I'm thinking of things like White Christmas. Like, yeah. I tried really... I guess, like, I guess you could say the song White Christmas, but that's... It's not like somebody has a goal and it's like, I want to achieve this. Right. I tried huh. really hard to find stuff about the about I want songs. There's not a lot on the internet about them. 
Internet's failed us again this week. Yes. Disappointing. <laughs> Disappointing, Internet. But uh, you mentioned something about, like, about the Iwatsan being trying to get the point mm-hmm. out of the character and everything. Yeah. So was While well, we were watching the minutes. Yes. Yeah. So I noticed that it is kind of a thing that you can't do in anything but a musical is to have this very clear, like, five-minute expression of the main character's motivation and desire and and goals and everything like Mm -hmm. if you don't have songs to do that in there's not really a great way to express that right howard ashman he in in this song or in this movie said that with this particular song you're not going to miss the point of the film you're not going to miss what what the goal of the film is because she's singing about it and then we get and then, like, there's conflicts that come with it, but we, we end up finding out how she gets her dream and how she gets her goals. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is fundamentally, like, why musicals work, is you have the opportunity to use songs to, you can do it to, to move plot along and have, you know, action songs where a lot of stuff is happening, or you can have songs that are more introspective, like this one, where it's it's very small, and she is... Singing to no one, um, except the audience, her desires. Like, this is, this is my character. She is expressing her character, her motivation, her, uh, I, I mean, the fundamentals of her character. Whereas you have another song like, um, Under the Sea, which is fun, but that is a character expressing something to another character. And fundamentally, it doesn't have anything to do with, like, Sebastian's deeper motivations or character. It's just a song that's a lot of fun and gets a big ensemble um, together. And <laughs> right. it, he's I mean, he's just saying what would basically be like a personal essay to her. Like, no, like, that's not what you need. You need this. And let me tell you about what's so great about this. Like, he's just being a friend. Whereas this is a song where it's like, this is the only way, especially for Ariel, because she's silenced um, throughout so much of the film, that we get a look inside her thinking, her motivation. And I mean, I don't know if it's the deepest motivation ever, like, you know, to want to explore, but like curiosity is a good thing. Exploration is a good thing. These aren't bad things. There's certainly, you know, bad ways they can be uh, extended, but overall, this is a, a good motivation and it's, and it's nice to see and hear this song express exactly what is going on in her head. In a way that I can't think of any, I can't think of a single way besides a song like this to get that sort of internal motivation. Well, it's a soliloquy. You know, if you think of back to Shakespeare times, this is her to be or not to be. Yeah. A a monologue or soliloquy is a good good point. And that's, and you know, it, it connects, I think, you know, one of the reasons this song is popular is it. I think it connects very deeply to, well, especially the age group they're catering to, is the the feeling repressed. That's kind of when kids are starting to feel, oh, my parents have these rules and I don't like them. Uh, whatever it be, you know, she wants to get out um, of, the, of the sea and get out onto land. Um, some kids want to get out and drive or they can't or they want to mm-hmm. start going or on they dates. Wanna, or... Yeah, they want to go on dates. They want to go to dances. They want to – I right. mean, we have a lot of these examples Right, and so it connects with this audience very well. So with that being said, 
Andrew, earlier this week, you mentioned that it's not your favorite song, but you feel like it is a iconic song. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like this song? Yes. Do you? Yeah. Can you imagine the film without this song? Oh no! No way! It uh, no. Well, it introduces the fun quirks of like thingamabobs, and they, they did a really good job of like bringing all of the fun elements. It's almost like the whole show in the song form. It has the fun quirky, she doesn't quite know, and she's awkward on land, doesn't know what to call things because it talks about all the different names. It has her desire. I guess it just doesn't have the resolution at the end. But uh, no, this this is Little Mermaid for me. Yeah, like, like especially this is Ariel. Okay. You have very little Ariel besides this. You have... Uh, I'm 16, I'm not a child anymore, and you have this. Like, that, yes. is, that is what you have of <laughs> Ariel the character. I agree with you completely that it is, it, it is Ariel. It is Little Mermaid. It is... She like, might say, like, she might actually say more words in this song than she says the entire rest of the film <laughs> as Ariel. It's possible. Someone count, please. <laughs> uh, however, this song was almost cut from the film. That's ridiculous. What? Like... Like it's, it is fundamental. It is essential. It is foundational. So it wasn't. It it wasn't. Uh, John Musker, Ron Clements, Alan Menken, or Howard Ashman that wanted it cut. They was all it... or Glenn King. They all worked for it. Does his name start with a K? Yes, it was Jeffrey Katzenberg. Huh. Oh. He thought it was boring. Well, he was he... wrong. Yes. Well, okay, but. He's not wrong about, like, the concept of it potentially being boring. Right. Especially if it's not, like, if the I Want song isn't universally recognized as, you know, useful and essential to musical structure, as it is basically now. Like, I I bet musicals now are hard-pressed to not have an I Want song. Right. Uh, he, he thought it was boring, but he also had some precedents for that. They had a, a screening... Uh, of the animation with some children. Mm-hmm. It was, it wasn't colored. Is he why Sebastian was... is in, or did this screen? Yeah, I don't, have Sebastian I don't, I don't know. It, it didn't say anything about Sebastian, hmm. but the, when they showed it to the kids, it was in black and white. And, and well, no, you need the colors. The, like, the colors are charming. Right. Even if they're muted, they're, they're yeah, still charming. They're muted, but... Right. The, it was, it, it, they hadn't colored everything. In okay. Yet. And they showed it to kids. And during the song, the kids were squirming around. They were restless. One kid who was sitting in front of Jeffrey Katzenberg spilled his popcorn and seemed to be more interested in picking up his popcorn than the <laughs> film itself. Okay, but like, I mean, this isn't this isn't the song for little kids, right? This is a great song for like twelve year olds, right? I don't know the age range of what the kids were. I okay. just know it was kids, but it was so. John Musker, Ron Clements, and and Howard Ashman all begged Katzenberg to let it stay and let it be there because they loved this song and they couldn't uh-huh. imagine the film without it. But they were all kind of rejected. Again, Katzenberg's like, no, we're, it's, it's out. But then it was Glenn King, <sighs> who was the main animator and supervisor for this whole sequence, sequence. And he was the one that convinced Katzenberg to let it stay. I bet it was because another- of... Yeah, I bet it was because of the, I, I bet they he added, added in, in Sebastian. Some Sebastian yeah, stuff to make it a little more there, entertaining, there, I guess. There was another screening, and I think they had 
older kids and adults there and it was too. more completed and it was more completed and it was a great success there were also some people who cried during it mm-hmm. and katzenberg I mean, said at the end of the film that he was happy that no one listened to him because <laughs> he couldn't imagine the film without the song no it like fundamentally doesn't work without this song right like just from like a character and story standpoint like you can't do this movie without this song right well and- I mean, this is Ricey Joe here. I think it's the first time I've actually said something in this minute, but because um, I was taking care of our baby. But you can't connect to Ariel without this song. Like, this is what makes us relate to Ariel. Otherwise, we also agree that she's an annoying 16-year-old teenager that's disobedient, you know? <laughs> like, to hear her whole story and to understand, it's kind of like, how could we connect to Hercules without Go the Distance, you know, or, you know, Moana and How Far I'll Go, mm-hmm. right? And well, and an interesting one with Moana is if you find the, you can find like the album on uh, Spotify and stuff, and you can find some of the demos for songs that were cut. And Moana had a very different "I Want" song that was literally called "I Want More." Yeah, and and I like how far I'll go a little bit better, but I feel like it is a little bit less of an "I Want" song. It's right. it's not as character driven for her. It's but um, but the, it's, it's, it's a better it's, song. It is the I want song of the film. Yes, and, but at some point it could have had multiple. Right, uh, but part of your world. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I don't remember what we were talking about exactly, but I mentioned how it, uh, Little Mermaid. We mentioned how Little Mermaid was uh, similar to Wizard of Oz, and um, mm-hmm. oh, it was the colors. It was the colors in the first sequence because the first sequence was muted. It was and then, gray, and then, and then, and then went, it went underwater, and, underwater and, and it was it was magical. Right, we and mentioned that. So, because of part of your world almost being cut, they also have um, related it to over the over the over rainbow. the rainbow, which was almost cut from Wizard of Oz as well. Mm-hmm. I like. I don't understand how they could, like, how anyone could think that this could possibly work like I, I it is not my favorite song of the four big ones and i don't even think that it's necessarily the best song of the four big ones but it is the most important song of the four big ones to this film like yes. you could cut any of the four other ones and still tell the story of this film you cannot effectively convey this film without this song because the main character is nothing without this song like she is fundamentally gone she is, you know, she is basically removed from the film if you don't have the song. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the song, they recorded it. So they worked specifically before this with before Little Mermaid. They had the the songs and the animation done separately. But with Little Mermaid, they storyboarded with the lyricist and the composer, and they they made the they, music so much more a fundamental part of it. Yes. it. which again is Renaissance coming back to the Broadway musical style, right? And <laughs> so they, and I mentioned this yesterday when talking about the live action reference with Sherry Stoner. She she was live action referencing to. Jody Benson's recording and Jody Benson had done her recording in the dark to help make it f- seem like she was underwater. It was something that Howard Ashman wanted. Okay. And uh and Howard Ashman was there during all 7 days of recording of Part of Your World. It was a 7-day recording. Is wow. that typical for a song like this? I don't know. Huh. I'm not That sounds like a lot for a, for 4 minutes of singing. Yeah. 
I, I don't know, but he kept telling her, like he kept directing her in ways to do it. And then mm-hmm. he would also sing. And uh, Jodie Benson, as well as Pat Carroll, who's the voice of Ursula, said that they took some elements of the way that they sang the song from the way that Howard Ashman had sung the song for them. But during part of your world recording, Howard Ashman just kept telling Jodie Benson some some tips on how to make it better. And he's he's like, just tell the story. Don't sing it like like it's a song like it's like this number that you have to perform Mm -hmm. for everyone it's a storytelling song tell the story right huh i love that yeah that that that's really great (laughs) howard ashman nice work oh man when since i i produce music is a little off topic but yeah you kind of have to be you know, you you know the emotion of the song and you're listening when they're doing their take or whatever. And this is, I'm sure, was going through Howard's mind. Just like, I have to be a vocal coach as well as a, an emotional coach, as well as, a, you know, a cheerleader. If they're getting, because seven days is grueling. I bet she was getting tired and he was probably just saying, hey, you know what? Let's let's just do one more take. I feel it in this next one. They They have to be a lot of hats. At the same time, so uh, my hat goes off to him for having that uh, vision and inspiration and pulling this from, you know, she was an amazing singer. She had done a lot of stage shows, a lot of things Jody Benson had, and yet still he had to, like, bring this out of her. And that, uh, I think Disney itself probably, you know, starting, starting from the very beginning, but maybe especially with this film, I bet they focused a lot on that is making the singing really the best it could be and telling the story. They're all, they're really good at that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so th- w- it, was that all of your notes on? That was all my notes on the singing and recording and the song itself. Okay. You have separate notes for the animation stuff? Yes. Okay, well, let's... <laughs> Dive into the minute. <laughs> let's do a little bit of other stuff. <laughs> um, I, have, I have some notes before we let Kestra uh, do her second monologue on <laughs> animation. Kestra is very prepared for this minute. This is probably this might be the most fundamentally Kestra minute of, wow. yeah. of the entire podcast. But also with the whole podcasting, you're you have a nine to five job, yes, and I'm, I'm at home feeling sick with pregnancy. So, so you have a, a greater opportunity to do the research. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we we have um, uh, a few animation things too for this one. So it could be before or after or during. Well, let's. Let's let that sort of stuff uh, jump into the middle and we'll let Kestra close out this minute with the Perfect. animation notes. Um, so I have let – me, let me go through a few of my things. Uh, Flounder settles into the sand next to Ariel. So she does like this like I want to I be on the sand and her hair splays out and everything. And Flounder digs into it quite a bit like an actual flounder would except he's not actually a flounder. Yeah. But like that that's how flounders like do their thing. It, it seemed more like one of my family's dogs like is more of that like flounder as a dog for you. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Loyal um, sidekick. Burying himself into the blankets and trying to get comfortable. Uh, yeah. Uh when she goes up to the painting and touches the fire, I was wondering, I know Kestra's got some notes about, like, that painting, because it, it's based on a real painting. Um, More notes from Kestra. <laughs> we totally thought it was. I'm glad you're going to talk about it. We're like, that it has is to be real. Anyways. Kestra's got the details. But I was wondering if having Ariel, like, address fire like that, is that a reference to The Little Match Girl, which is another of Hans Christian Andersen's huh. stories? And I don't know if it is intended that way, but I, I kind of take it that way. I 
I can see that. She touches it and it makes me seem like she kind of knows what's, what fire, what fire does. is, what fire does. Because she doesn't like touch it. She's like she, She's gentle. gentle and yeah. almost like, I know this would hurt me in, in real life. Um, I had a note that she has so much hair through oh this minute. Oh my goodness. We <laughs> like her so... hair is crazy in this minute in and particular. Mermaid hair must have special properties underwater because it'll go all crazy and then it's falling right back into its perfect hairdo like two <laughs> seconds later. Um, and then I have uh, some other notes about the animation. So I'll let that transition into Kestra's animation stuff. What what do uh, you have, Scott and Ricey Joe? Well, and should I be saying Ricey or Ricey Joe? Either one. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, just Kestra, you start and we probably have... A note is about it all animation that, for the rest of this minute? We have something about the song um, we can talk about. Yeah, go for it. Um, so it's really interesting. So we were talking about how this is a story, that this song is a story. And a lot of times when you hear recreations of it, sometimes people will talk the words. And one of the parts is, you know, ready to know what the people know. Well, in the movie, she goes, ready to know what the People know, which would be the tonic, except it's really sharp. It's like, people know. It's like a totally off note. And it's like totally weird that this is the note that they went for in the final cut for the movie. Because it's not even the tonic. It's not even a correct note or anything. And it just sounds kind of off. And most people, when they recreate it, they don't sing it the same way because it's just weird sounding. They'll just say, people know, or something like that. We thought that was so interesting. She literally sings... Ready to know what the people know. And this is the key. And she goes, people know. And it's just, it's really fascinating. It's like nowhere near the key that the song yeah. is in. Um, and, you know, if now that I know they did this for seven days, that was very deliberate. And it's just fascinating. You know, they didn't have her sing, ready to know what the people know. Or like Rosie said, just say it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I never really noticed that. I'm glad you guys mentioned that. Yeah. And then everything else is animation. So you start on it and then we'll just add in our two cents. Okay. The, the painting. Uh, do you I? want you want to start the painting? Then I yes, will do my animation painting. notes. Then, uh, then we'll get into the animation. Yes. Zone. Okay. Kestra, <laughs> tell us about this wonderful painting. Okay. The painting is an actual painting. Or based on an actual painting. It looks exactly it's very good, like it. But the backgrounds were painted differently than the cells, so they True. are able to match styles or, or even True. paint quality. True. Uh, it is called The Penitent Magdalene with the Smoking Fire. Or The Smoking Flame. Okay. It is a 17th century painting by Georges de la Tour, who is French, and he spent most of his time in France, but uh, a lo- lot of his paintings have been part of royal collections of europe hmm. did you have um what what style of or what movement? it didn't it didn't say okay i i i tried because i i thought the quality of the painting at least what we can see on you know this this film it looks like it has a style similar to kind of a, like a rembrandt maybe it's possible so he may have been from the same uh time frame but my my uh, painting art history is a little rusty. Yeah. It is on show from what I read in, in a museum in L.A. Oh, so, okay. Uh, so it's not underwater like this <laughs> minute view suggests. Uh, but it is a, 
She's holding a skull in this painting, by the way. Yes. What? She is. Did Another not notice that. Hamlet there's reference. A, that's her soliloquy. In, 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 like, in her lap, there's a dark skull. Okay. So this is, yeah. So this is Mary Magdalene. And it was, and so in a lot of the paintings that were done of Mary Magdalene, she's depicted either as an older woman or in her grotto. Uh, and this is in her grotto. She's, uh, it's supposed to represent that she is there just thinking about stuff kind of just in her mind and in her, her heart rather than being in that place mm-hmm. at that time. So there's the skull, there's a book of scriptures, and a scourge that are there to set the mood, to show that she's contemplating stuff, and that she's kind of more solemn and and stuff. Solemn and sad, almost. The the chief symbol and the true, or the, the... main subject of the painting is the candle which she's gazing at and it's supposed to represent that she's like looking at the light and even if she's not exactly there she's looking for something that is like this pillar of light that's in 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 her midst of darkness hmm. that's Whoa. what i read that's totally that. ariel that's <laughs> like literally that she's it's her i want song she needs Something she's contemplating. She's in her grotto. You had said that was Mary Magdalene in her grotto. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they thought of all that when they chose this painting. Oh, everything Disney does is deliberate. Definitely, <laughs> like especially for something as you know, this is a real painting. You know, a, a real piece of art that they've put into here. It's definitely something deliberate. Um, speaking of like the art of the sequence, just throughout pretty much all of this song. You could take almost any frame that's focused on Ariel and it's like, that's such a well-intended and constructed and purposeful frame. Like, each frame is a little piece of art, uh, the way they've set it up. And it's like, somebody painted this and or, or uh, drew and painted this to convey a message about Ariel. Like, this sequence is, I'm sure, painstakingly done. Like, it took oh, seven yeah. days for them to do the music. Imagine how long they spent doing the animation. Oh yeah, the next minute has probably one of my favorite frames of Ariel. <laughs> uh, which which frame is the is your favorite one? It's in the next minute. It's the very first oh, frame. Okay. Um, my favorite one through this minute. I'm pretty sure it's part of this minute. Is when she says "bright young women," and she does this posture where she sits up straight and she turns to the side mm-hmm. uh, as, as like this performance of like I'm supposed to be proper or but I'm not sure because that's not exactly what the song is saying in that moment but she's definitely like she's doing something there she is posing as something that she doesn't feel like she is mm-hmm. uh in that moment and i think that's a really impressive thing to do with an animated character is to have them pretend to be something and kind of like mockingly pose mm-hmm. oh totally like any teenage girl in their bedroom with their hairbrush microphone you know singing in yeah, their, their mirror is that what teenage girls did you have sisters you know (laughs) what other animation things did you have so before I get into the actual animators of Ariel there's just one moment when she's that's kind of iconic when she's reaching out through the 
Is is that in this the, minute she's reaching yes. through the, the 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 spotlight the the sunroof? I, I guess yeah, <laughs> the sunroof is like skylight something like skylight that. might be better. Skylight. That shot took was the very last shot of the film to be completed. It took four or five tries to get the the effects and the optical like the angles angles and, the and, everything, and everything perfect. And they almost had to, if, if the last try that they did didn't work out, they were going to have to go with a different shot where she's not reaching out and they didn't like it as much. Uh, but it finally worked out at the very end and they were able to get it out. But it took a lot of trying and and testing before they were able to get that shot just right. Wow. It's worth it. That shot's amazing. <laughs> Yes. Just making sure. Okay. Ready? Yes. For the animation aspects of now, Ariel. How quickly can you do it? I can. It's not a lot of notes. It's just that much. Okay. Go for it. I'll try. So. Kestra's animation corner. Ariel's <laughs> body and per- <laughs> animation corner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ariel's body and personality were based on Alyssa Milano, who. I believe was a model of some kind and an actress and an actress. Um, she was, she she was on shows through the eighties. Um, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill names his ship the Milano because of her. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, she was. Uh, I'd say at least relatively popular in eighties sitcoms. Yeah, sounds familiar. Oh, I know. She's the brunette. She's in. She was also in Charmed. Yeah, Charmed. <gasps> oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. So it with part of your world, that's why I decided to save all the animation stuff for Ariel for till now, because it was part of your world that made a lot of her animation significant. There were lots of main animators for Ariel, but there were two like or lots of animators for Ariel, but there were two main ones. There was Glenn King and Mark Henn, and Glenn King basically became the over the supervisor of animating Ariel. Uh, and he was originally working on Ursula because he has, he has this reputation for big characters, big powerful characters like the bear and Fox and the Hound and, uh, per, and Radigan in Great Mouse Detective. So not just like physically big for the film, but also the, like the big uh, performance characters. Yes. But after seeing footage of Jody Benson's recording session of Part of Your World, he he went to the president of Walt Disney Animation or Feature Animation, which was Peter Schneider, and he went to the, him and was like, "Please let me work on Ariel. Like I want to work on Ariel." Which this is her big performance sequence. Yes, and so he oversaw. So he was transferred to Ariel and did a lot of work on Ariel, but specifically with part of your world, this was his big scene. This is who he, this is the, the scene that he oversaw and he made sure everything was what he wanted. Even if he wasn't specifically animating every single shot of Ariel, he oversaw it all because he was the supervising mm-hmm. animator of Ariel. And he also said that Ariel has some resemblance to his wife. Oh, cute. 
That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There, you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels Group. Our guests can be found at ScottAndRiceyJoe.com, that's S-C-O-T-T, and r-y-c-e-e-j-o dot com. Until next time, listeners, we want to thank you for letting us be part of your world. <laughs>